Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green, and I'm here with my co-host, Melissa Colston. Hello, hello. And our special guest, Kayla Ray Whitaker, author of The Animators. Ah, good to be here. The library's summer learning program begins on June 4th, and this year's theme is Get Creative. We thought it would be fun to get creative with this month's Books and Bites podcast, so we'll be talking to Kayla about her book, The Animators, and about what creativity means to her and her characters. The Animators was named a Best Debut Novel of 2017 by Entertainment Weekly and a Best Book of 2017 by NPR, Kirkus Reviews, and BookPage. Publishers Weekly called it, quote, an outstanding debut. Whitaker skillfully charts the creative process, its lulls and sudden rushes of perfect inspiration. And in the relationship between Mel and Sharon, she has created something wonderful and exceptional, a rich, deep, and emotionally true connection that will certainly steal the hearts of readers, unquote. Kayla is a graduate of the University of Kentucky and New York University. After many years of living in Brooklyn, she returned to Kentucky, her home state, in 2016. Welcome, Kayla. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Oh, we're very excited to have you. Um, So would you like to start by telling us a little bit about the novel? Oh, sure. So The Animators is the story of Mel and Sharon, um, two women in their early 30s who are animated cartoonists. They meet in college when they're kids, when they're at the very beginning of their process, and they decide to work together. And so uh, what develops is a very intense friendship, but also an artistic partnership and a business partnership. Mm -hmm. And the novel charts their relationship um, into adulthood, uh, their highs and their lows from being broke to being able to finance their first full-length animated feature. Um, and the, um, the balance of the partnership turns when one of the characters experiences a, uh, a medical emergency. So the balance of power kind of changes. But it's, it's about women, and it's about work, and it's about agency. And, and it's also in, in about, cre- it's about creativity in a big way. So um, which is, I think, a relationship unto itself and one that, because of its, I think, intensely intimate nature, um, isn't explored as often as, say, friendship or romantic relationships. Right. So it was, it was a pleasure to be able to tackle this with the novel. Well, would you like to read us a short sample of, of the book? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I can read a few minutes. Um, So a little bit of background information. Um, At this point in the book, uh, Sharon, the uh, more responsible uh, half of the Mel and Sharon duo, Mm -hmm. um, she has just experienced a stroke, and she's in her early 30s. And so she's in the hospital, and Mel is uh, with her as uh, a Kotex commercial that they designed airs for the first time on TV. (laughs) <laughs> so that's that's where we are. Our Kotex commercial airs the same week the articles were released. We were hired to design something, quote, pad-centric when Nashville Combat was in post-production and we were subsisting on lentils and six packs of PBR. 
We were instructed to steal some thunder from tampon usage with a fun, light-hearted spot showcasing the company's new super light, close-to-you sanitary napkin. Isn't that a carpenter song? Mel said after they approached us. We like to work backward, usually starting with the character's essence. The look, the feel, the sound, the things they'd say, the way they walk. Is it a swagger, a tiptoe, a duck shuffle? Do they have an inner ear infection, a bum knee? Only then, when they have a body, do they make it to the lot board. Some imagine themselves quickly with slippery ease. They cannot wait to be born. Others, not at all. This is a tough one because it's a thing, or moreover, a product we've been hired to sell. When we're stuck like we were with Kotex, we talk it through. We retreat to the far end of the studio to toss a dirty pink spalding ball Mel bought from a bodega back and forth. There's something about watching the balls arc through the air, feeling its contact with the hand that does something for thought. Ideas seem to come easier, the underlying wisdom of process and plan appearing in flashes, silver minnow bellies in the waters of distraction. Mel tossed the ball in the air, let it drop, swoop down to cradle it. I don't know if I want to do this, she complained. I clapped my hands, held them up to make the catch. It's 30,000. Dude, we just finished a movie. I'm tired. Come on. We need the money. I wound up, then threw it soft, a perfect parabola. I need you to want to. She caught it, kept it, jumped up and down, rubbed her eyes. What do they want? She bleated. You know what they said, glorify the cotex. They said, empower the cotex, if memory serves. So basically, we're trying to market a half half diaper for grown-ass women here. Exactly, so think. How do we empower pads? Mel turned, tossed the ball against the wall. It thocked, came back, make them fight. I'm not sure we should make them living things. Or should we? Dude, vampire Kotex. Ah, Mel, gross. Or this, ladies and gals, on their cycles, in a brawl, wearing super absorbent Kotex while throwing down. She winged the ball up against the wall harder. One of them swinging around a chain like, Yah! Kotex! Soak up the rage! (laughs) Softer tagline, maybe. She ran a hand through her hair, squinted into the middle distance, said slowly, Kotex, as tough as you are. And now the commercial is airing late night on the Cartoon Network. Mel flaps around an unlit cigarette tucked behind her ear and gathers some nurses together to watch. It's a girl-on-girl gang fight and squiggling, exciting neon, loud and short and sharp. Lots of big hollering, vermilion yelling mouths, magenta tongues. It's good, short but precise, clean, alive. Kotex, as tough as you are, everyone claps. It hits me how badly I want to get back to work, how much I've been missing it. The anticipation before a new project. Envisioning it in the confines of your own head, intangible, a whiff of itself, two steps from a daydream. Then through work and love and sheer will, it becomes real. If you're lucky, what you've made will be better than anything your flimsy imagination could have put together. I want to see Mel work again. The way she looks at a sketch when it's done, raking her hands through her hair, cracking her knuckles, muttering, All right, next. I live for that moment. 
I live for the way seeing her work makes me want to work and work more, work better, work more deeply. I suddenly miss it so fiercely my stomach cramps. My eyes start to water. Mel leans in. What is it? I shake my head. Are you on your cycle? You want to fight? She crumples her empty soda can in her fist, wings it gently at me, says low, seriously, you okay? The nurses file out, patting me on the shoulder, agreeing that it was unlike any other Kotex commercial they'd ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) There were several parts of that that made me laugh out loud when I was reading it. So The Animators is your debut novel. Mm-hmm. What has the experience of getting it released and out into the world and having lots of people read it and think it's awesome been like? Um, it's, well, I mean, it's, it's been an exciting year. It's, I, I really love connecting with readers and writers. Um, but, you know, I say readers because, you know, I feel like a reader is, as well. Um, and I think most writers do. Um, that has been the best part of putting out this book, is going to fairs and festivals and just, just talking to people who, who have read this. And to it's an interesting experience to, and I think this goes back to the creativity issue, to live with an entity that's in your head, but, you know, confined to your head for so many years while you're working on it and you you feel like you know these characters so intimately you know this work so intimately and to hear other people actually verbalize their names or things that they do is uh lovely and surreal like um i had uh, uh someone i just met read the book and uh messaged me about it um over the weekend and she uh, she really loved the fact that it mentions limb chicken as squirrels she said that that killed me and uh so that's really gratifying too it makes you feel unified in a weird way that we can we can see each other through limb chicken (laughs) yeah. yeah so it's it's been a really lovely year and i've gotten fan art and it's just oh i love it i love it so i have like a growing melon sharon wall at my home. That's awesome. Yeah, and and someone even drew me. And it's awesome because she drew me with one Bugs Bunny eye. <laughs> and I, I love it. So I got a little frame for it and I put it up on the wall. It's Very like, that cool. Is, yeah, I was really touched by that. That was awesome. And has any of that fan art, does any of it remind you of what you think Sharon or Mel might draw? Yes, yeah, there's, I, I really love it when I get to see a new dimension of Sharon and Mel. Mm-hmm. Um, my my Australian press um, actually they they had a, um, a an Australian graphic novelist um, or Australian illustrator sorry uh, who put out a version of Mel and Sharon that I loved, but it was um, they were very curvy. Both of them were very curvy in mm-hmm. this picture, and I've gotten. Um, illustrations in which Mel is a little more broom-like and mm-hmm. she has the the wiry body and the tuft of hair mm-hmm. um, but there's one in particular there was one 
piece of fan art that I thought was fantastic. And the artist, I think, was 16 or 17, wow. actually. And she's immensely talented. But the it almost, it kind of has a Ren and Stimpy aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Like the, the visual style looked it, it very much, you know, fell into line with, with that work. Um, and I saw that, and that, that struck a chord with me. Right. So, yeah, I thought it was great. Also, I can't draw. <laughs> so I look at all of these and say, this is amazing. Yeah, I can't draw a circle. How does that translate into writing about animators and, and the technical aspect of animating? Well, it, uh, it gave me uh, a, a zeal um, when doing research. Um, I was intensely interested in, 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 in how animators work, and there's so many different ways of, of making cartoons these days. You know, there are different kinds of software. There's, you know, the old-fashioned method that's covered in the animators because um, the girls kind of make a shift in the tools that they're using. Um, so, uh, and, and that interest is probably empowered by envy, <laughs> because it's something that I admire so much. I think it's amazing work, and and it was and very physical work, and so it made it really it was fun to to research. Um, but I think there's always that aspect of creative work. It's the ability to slip into other lives, even if they're their lives you have invented. It's still one that's not entirely yours. You know, um, and so that's I think part of the lure of of making something. It's this ability to go beyond yourself in a way, um, and to send send that kind of tentacle out into the world. Yeah, yeah absolutely. For sure. <laughs> um, so, kind of a question along the same lines: when you're doing your research, um, do you do that? what what part of the process do you do it you know all through while you're writing or do you do it in the front end or how does that work it's kind of sprinkled throughout um so i i did a lot of as soon as i knew that the animators was going to be a novel because at, at one point i was thinking that it would be a novella and um i was told no just make it into a novel because you can sell it then novel sell and <laughs> and and I'm glad I did if, if anything because I got more time with mm-hmm. Sharon and Mel and also it sold but <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the at the outset I did a lot of uh, technical research in the beginning mm-hmm. you know um, I did a, a lot of research into uh, particularly Warner Brothers Studios mm-hmm. um, back in the 30s you know so I wanted to see how it was done then and now it's there's a fantastic resource just in YouTube. Um, there are a lot of people who are working now who you know they post post their methods and their mm-hmm. process online. Like let me show you how how I do this. Yeah. And so it made it made that aspect of the research, the physicality of the work itself, uh, it made it easier. Easy, more easily access, accessible than it would have been, you know, a decade ago or 15 mm-hmm. years ago, um, mostly because because of YouTube. Um, <laughs> but usually, if there's if there are questions I have, um, I could sink into a rabbit hole of research and yes. just learning, and that's something that. So I have 
begun to try to time myself actually if i have a question i have to diverge from drafting Mm -hmm. especially when i'm on a deadline Mm -hmm. um i i'll I'll time myself for 15 or 20 minutes and try to find out exactly what i need to know and not Uh, come up with more questions from answering the one question yes yes and it (laughs) happens so i just try to make a note of those and put it aside and say i'll look it up later because i gotta hit my word count right now Mm -hmm. so it's and and that comes from years of fumbling. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great tip. <laughs> I'll have to keep that one in mind, too. Um, so since we're kind of talking about writing process a little bit, um, and, and you talked earlier about Mel and Sharon's partnership and, mm-hmm. and their... Um, how they balance out each other's strengths and weaknesses. Um, But of course, writing novels is usually a solitary act. Mm -hmm. Have you ever um, had a creative partnership where you were working closely with someone? You know, I do now, which is great. Um, So I've I've got a writing partner and she and I are working on um, a, a pilot actually, which is, you know, kind of screenplay writing is very different mm-hmm. from novel writing, but uh, getting to getting to share the process with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but also when you, from my perspective, when you develop a partnership, you know, there's, you develop a process between the two of you. Right. And so finding that process is, it's, it's been kind of fascinating from like my solitary novelist's perspective like oh so this is what it's like when you have another human being in the room and it's not just you and your cat for eight (laughs) hours um yeah that is the and it's it's been it's been a relief in a way because writing writing's pretty lonely It, Mm -hmm. it can be really lonely you know making art can be really lonely because it's just you and you have to be comfortable with it just being you and your tools, you and your work for long stretches of time. You have to be okay with a certain amount of solitude. And I am to a certain extent. I am long enough to get the, the work done. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I, I need human contact <laughs> teaching or working. I just miss talking to people. Right. Um, so that's been uh, a lesson that I've learned just over the past couple of years, and it's it's a lesson well learned, I think. Mm-hmm. And also, I think that's why I wrote the animators, because it was uh, I wanted to I wanted to invent that partnership. I wanted to in- invent that company in a way, and mm-hmm. so it made it it was a, a warm experience for for a large portion of the book writing about Sharon and Mel. So one thing that I've found when working on a project that intensely is that it's really hard to get outside of it and that a partnership can be really helpful for that. How do you tackle that as a solo writer and how is it different from working with a partner? Well, I I think you kind of have to parcel your time out if you're working solo. Um, So to kind of get that clarity of vision um, for, for editing, which is really important just to make sure that you cut out scenes that aren't contributing to the plot you cut out descriptions that are you know slow and mucky and um i like to finish drafts and then set them aside and uh zadie smith wrote a great essay actually about you know um editorial tips just you know rules writers should live by and that was 
one of the rules step away from the vehicle and that was it's it's one of the best piece of advice pieces of advice i think i've ever read um so i tend to have an a project and a b project when i'm working and i'll spend a, a set amount of time working on the a project drafting editing researching and then i'll try to get it to a, a stage of completion as complete as it can be and i set it aside and I pick up the B project. Um, and having that time away from it, it allows me to read more as a reader than as a writer the next time I pick it up. Uh, so the, the edits, the edits I make are a lot more ruthless, but they're better for the story. Um, and I have a few trusty readers who read drafts that I write and they're immensely helpful. Um, my agent and my editor both were all really great with edits, so and it was a pleasure to get to work with both of them. Um, so there's there are a lot of people who are involved in a novel, so um, I definitely had help along the way. On Books and Bites, we talk about um, food and drink that we would want to pair with the book that we're reading. And so we'd love to hear your thoughts about the animators. Was maybe, um, was there something that you ate a lot while you were writing it? Um, <laughs> and also, what do you think someone should eat or drink while they're reading it? Well, one of the, if you were to take the animators apart based on food and food mentions, I think you would have sort of a, you would have a body of junk food. You would have a <laughs> landscape of junk food if, if you would, which is very American in a way. Mm -hmm. And we have two characters who are both Southern. Um, Sharon is from Eastern Kentucky. Mel is from Central Florida. Um, they both came from working class backgrounds, um, and they're both, you know, children who come of age in the 80s and 90s. Processed food was a daily presence. <laughs> I mean, and of course, I suppose that, you know, that depends on the household that you grew up in. But right. for, for most of us, there was, you know, there were, it was, it was uh, eating habits acceptable eating habits that uh, they that doesn't really exist anymore you know so there are some vilified foods that are uh, cornerstones for the animators there are definitely mentions of peeps there are oh, mentions yeah. of oh yes circus peanuts so we have yes. the, the marshmallow based candies <laughs> which is probably my influence because I'm a I'm a candy fanatic mm -hmm. and the marshmallow base is that's it's its own group unto itself <laughs> um, and you know no fat no that's true marshmallow based treat that's true just i'd turn a blonde eye to the sugar i do <laughs> yeah. um yeah peeps are Peeps are a personal favorite. Doritos are mentioned. Mm -hmm. Mountain Dew is mentioned. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think you have the modern day South without. I mean, the, it Mountain Dew actually, you know, it was first marketed as a as a Southern soft drink mm -hmm. with Willie the Hillbilly. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Who Mountain Dew? The um, the, the it first makes a lot of sense now that you say that, but I didn't know that. Right. Yeah. Um, it's early commercials for Mountain Dew are fantastic, and they're on YouTube. 
Um, I might need to check into that. Yeah, <laughs> no, they're great. Yeah. So Doritos and and it's I I I don't eat like this all the time, mm-hmm. but I, I definitely had a childhood that was filled with spam and coke. <laughs> and and there's a certain right. there's something to be said for you know the cultural embodiment of spam and coke and I mm-hmm. guess what it says about a specific time and place. Mm-hmm. My current favorite recipe is a very animators friendly recipe. Um, so I bake a lot to let off steam, mm-hmm. and especially when I'm working really hard, like I'm working on that new project right now. Um, last week was, you know, a draft heavy week. So like 4,000 words every day. I just needed to do something that wasn't looking at a computer screen at the end of every day. Mm-hmm. So I actually made my current favorite cookie, which is a copycat Little Debbie oatmeal cream pie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where did you get the recipe? Oh, it's great. I actually got it online. And I there was a cookie aspect that I really liked from one recipe. There was a marshmallow cream based uh, icing that I liked on another recipe, and so I combined them. Mm-hmm. And I'd be happy to share. Oh if, yeah, if oh, you're yeah. We, we definitely need that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I am. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I will definitely share that. So um, I don't keep my recipes secret. Um, but the um, the oatmeal has just enough of the salty bite, mm-hmm. and I used I, I like vanilla salt, and I also like bourbon smoked salt, mm-hmm. um, and both are fantastic in this Sounds recipe. Sounds amazing. Yeah, it's it's pretty good, and it's even you know my husband who never used to eat sugar, um, he loves these cookies. <laughs> I mean they're gone in two days, um, so that's and that's a cookie I can imagine the girls eating this cookie yeah as they're working so also limited crumbs it's a soft cookie (laughs) so it's probably better for your equipment yeah that's that's something to keep in mind (laughs) when you're when you're picking your working snacks Mm -hmm. um and I love that it's a little Debbie reference because that was de- actually my husband and I were talking about our after school snack and mm-hmm. and mine was a little Debbie and it was either an oatmeal cream pie mm-hmm. or the fudge brownie was oh. also oh, yeah, one of my favorites. One. Yeah. Oh, those those are great. Yeah. Um, and I when I lived in New York, um, I actually got turned on to Drake's. Mm-hmm. baked goods which you can't find down here um this is i guess this is hostess territory oh yeah uh-huh. yeah but with drake's they have devil dogs like which is very it, it's kind of similar i think to a swiss roll-up oh okay you know like chocolate mm-hmm. and icing and it's cylindrical you know it's uh <laughs> it's a good one yeah that's really funny i um yeah i haven't tried Drake's, so i'll have to Keep an eye out. Yeah, I, you know, I think I've seen them in Pennsylvania too. So, uh-huh. but it's it's funny which how snack cakes are regionalized mm-hmm. in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Soft drinks too, you know, coming from a late territory, yes. which mm-hmm. yeah, which is not mentioned in the book, but that's that was a drink that I was thinking would be good to pair with oh, it. Yeah. I yeah. know there isn't there a section where. They mention old-fashioned sodas. Was well, the um, the boyfriend in Louisville. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, drinking cheer wine and knee high. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. knee high. Yeah. Um, and those are really hard to find too, like a peach knee high, mm-hmm. which is is great. Yeah. I, I should probably mention the number of crowns I have in my head. 
at this point. <laughs> I have more fake teeth than real. Um, so Just kind of, it's a hazard. <laughs> it, it really is. It really is. So yeah, it's um, there is a cherry alate. I am wild yeah, to try this. Came out. Yeah, oh. have you tried it? No. I'm curious. I was in Georgia last week, and my husband and I went to the grocery store last night, and he he gestured to the display of cherry alate and said, "See what happens when you leave the state. This <laughs> abomination." <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if it's gross or not. <laughs> I just saw that it would come out. Yeah, I'll have to try it. Yeah, I would love that. I. Uh, so I, I grew up in, in Montgomery County. It's Mount Sterling. So Winchester is right the next, there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's the next county, next county over. And they used to, I was never lucky enough to go on one of these, but they used to take, you know, field trips of kids to the alate bottling plant. And it's like, do you really want to fill school children up with <laughs> alate? Which is highly caffeinated ginger ale. caffeinated. And highly you know what caffeinated. sugar does to kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was fun. <laughs> No, I want to go tour yeah, LA. Yeah. I never even thought about going on a tour at LA. That sounds oh, great. Yeah, I, I, I know they do it. I've looked into it actually from because my family doesn't live here and we always have to bring them back ALAs mm-hmm. when we go visit. Um, but you have to reserve it like months in advance to to get a tour. So you have to really plan it out. That is fantastic. <laughs> I'm glad that there's such a there's such an interest in how alate is manufactured. Yeah, <laughs> Winchester has many charms. And, and it's it, right they next should to add it to the Bourbon Trail. Like they just tack it on. <laughs> it can be the furthest east. Yeah, it yeah. would work. I think it would work really well. Regional yeah. beverages. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and besides, you need something to balance out the bourbon when you're when you're on your absolutely. Bourbon Trail, right? And Melissa, do you have a, a well? One, that you'd um, like to. So one thing that comes up a few times in the novel uh, is the the comforting presence of pie. <laughs> <laughs> After one of the um, sort of traumatic events in the book, I was as I was reading it, I was like, "Well, when's the pie going to show up?" Because it it com- <laughs> it pops up a couple times, and and sure enough, a strawberry pie appeared. Um, so I, I wanted to ask, "What is your favorite pie?" Ooh, I know um, that's a really really tough question. Probably the toughest you'll have today. <laughs> it, it is so hard to just choose one. I know it is the way that I view pie. I view pie as you know, there are two separate families. There is the fruit pie, and then there is the custard pie. And of the custard pies, butterscotch cream is probably the favorite. Um, I have I have a recipe that I like to use, and I got it actually from my sister-in-law, and it's it's a charmer. Like I, I take it to dinner parties, and mm-hmm. it's a crowd pleaser. It is a crowd pleaser. Yeah, they clean that thing out. <laughs> um, and then my favorite on the fruit side, and and I have to say, I'd like to develop my familiarity with the fruit pie and just making it. My mother used to make an apple crumble that was just out of this world. It was so good, and she would use apples that grew in our tree or oh, uh, nice. in a tree in our yard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so it was it was really good. Um, there's also a salted honey pie I like to make, Ooh. and that's that's pretty good. But that is, it's really sweet and really salty. 
And so you can only have thin slivers of it. <laughs> yeah. So it takes a while to get through, but it's it's good. I've never heard of salted honey pie. That yeah. Very interesting. It is. is it just like, is it a custard or how mm-hmm. does it work? Yeah. So it's uh, honey and I think uh, corn syrup and maybe some cornmeal to firm it up and to actually form the custard. Hmm. And, and the salt, of course. And I think that's how I came across vanilla salt. Um, at mm-hmm. first, and that's how I used it. And uh, you actually sprinkled that on top, and it's it's really good. It's really good. Mm-hmm. It's very, very sweet, though. How do you feel about savory pie? Does, <gasps> is that even part of the equation? Like, it's a whole other world. Yeah, I feel like if, if, I, were, if I were a Brit, um, meaty pies and savory pies, would, it would probably be like the third family. But I like them, but I still see them as a novelty. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is a specifically American outlook. I don't know. Do you, in your mind, do savory pies and sweet pies kind of? Well, I, the only, the main reason I, I even bring it up is because I was thinking before the interview, you know, what are my favorite pies? What are my favorite pie recipes? And I think because I am fundamentally in fear of pie crust for some reason, like every time I make it, I get so freaked out that I'm going to mess it up, They're that it hard. doesn't turn out very well. They're hard. But I've had excellent success with a tomato galette recipe, which is basically tomato pie fancied up, like with ricotta instead of mayonnaise. Um, But it's a recipe that I got from the internet from PBS Food, and it's it was it turned out beautifully the first time. So I've had no fear since then, and it turns out beautifully every time with little cherry tomatoes, and it's it's just real cute. Um, (laughs) So that was where my mind went when I was like. When have I had fun with pie? I've eaten plenty of great fruit pie, but the the pie that I go back to that I've made that I've enjoyed making and making and eating is that that tomato galette. Wow, it's fantastic! I, I highly recommend it for yeah. like really nice ripe cherry tomatoes. That oh. sounds great. Yeah, I like a good savory pie. That's yeah. something I'd like to try definitely. Does quiche technically does does quiche count as a pie? I, I mean, think it could count. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's got a crust. It's got a crust, right? It's got the pie crust. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then that brings into question, does cheesecake count? Because my grandma makes her cheesecake without crust. Mm. So it's like basically just cream cheese custard. Right. But it's amazing to say. Would yeah. we consider that pie? There are many fine lines around here. <laughs> there really are. And broad divides. <laughs> yes, yes. It's hard to draw the line. <laughs> I know. I've always been wildly curious about Frito pie, which I hear oh, I've is, had Frito pie. Is yes. it good? It is. It is a staple of Louisiana festivals. Nice. It is, and not just festivals. There was this uh, club we used to go to in Lafayette, Louisiana, <laughs> and before food trucks were a thing, there was a little person with a little cart, and they would sell Frito pies oh. <laughs> outside the venue. In fact, I think I had one after seeing Sunvolt <laughs> in like 1998 or something. <laughs> um, yeah. No. Oh, they're 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 great. I, I definitely see Mel and Sharon chowing down on some Frito pies, Frito especially pie. the kind that come right in the in right the in the bag of Fritos. Wow. Oh, it's just very killer. convenient, you know. Yes. You just chow down. Mm-hmm. You gotta have port- portability. Portability, <laughs> a little messy, but it's contained. Yes. It's the perfect combo. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
So is there anything that um, you've been reading lately that you'd like to recommend to Books and Bites listeners? Oh, sure. Uh, so I just uh, I read an incredible book that just came out a few months ago um, called The Gunners. Mm-hmm. Um, and the author's name is Rebecca Kaufman. And uh, it's, it's a great book, and it's about uh, a group of friends. And it, it kind of traces their, you know, their, their secrets and their betrayals and their, their growth from childhood into adulthood. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a book that I, I loved. I felt that book in my bones. So I think those friendship stories are always a big draw, obviously. Um, but friendships in which there are more than two parties mm-hmm. are just infinitely interesting. It's like a mini universe. So I loved The Gunners. It's okay. really great. great. And uh, I just recently read uh, The Power by Naomi Alderman. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was fantastic. Um, and uh, another book I read was Red Clocks by uh, Lenny Zumas. And uh, they're, they're both about, you know, um, both narratives of women but narratives of women and power balance and agency and society red clocks focuses on a you know a, a, a u.s maybe two years into the future in which abortion is completely banned and mm-hmm. women try to sneak across the canadian border to secure um, procedures um, and it's just a whisper away from our our current uh our current america really right and uh and the power of course is about women um developing uh electrical charges and so they can throw fireballs basically um which give me a book with fireballs any yeah, day. Absolutely. yeah um so it was a lot of uh, it was you know equal parts fun and um disquieting to mm-hmm. read so that's that's another one for the list Great. Well, thanks for those recommendations. Um, and so what are you working on now? Well, I'm working on a couple of different novels. I guess I have an A project and a B project. And the, the A project is um, the working title is Bluebird. And it, uh, it traces uh, a group of friends actually through a quarantine in a small town in eastern Kentucky in 1998. Um, and so these five kids are essentially trapped in a house. They're in isolation, and they're being monitored by the government for mm-hmm. about a month. And it's about what happens to them in, in this house. Um, and it's bordering on horror. I think yeah, it's it sounds pretty horrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's... Or that it would easily be horrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think I've been kind of edging towards this for a while. Um, the second book is, it's still in its infancy, mm-hmm. but I can say that it heavily involves cats. <laughs> it, it is a novel, a short I, novel. I hope it's not a horror story about <laughs> cats. No! <laughs> 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 well, we'll see, but you know, it's, I did get to write my cats into this, into this story and we have a, a kitten who's about seven months old, mm-hmm. and he's insane. <laughs> he destroys things. He he's like a dog almost. He'll rip into the garbage to oh, wow. to eat foodstuffs because <laughs> he's you know he's a golden retriever inside. <laughs> and so I got to write him into this novel. The only instance in which I have written people or entities I have loved <laughs> into a book. I don't think they'll mind. I hope not. Anyway, 
They won't be able to tell you either way. They That's right. Well, or the read it. One. They won't find out. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Uh, the the little one, he, he might eat my soul. He doesn't <laughs> like it, so he'll let me know. <laughs> So that's what I'm working on. Well, great. Well, we look forward to reading them. Oh. And thank you so much for coming today. We really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. We'd love to hear your comments or suggestions, so feel free to email us at podcast at jesspublib.org. We record in the recording studio at the Jessamine County Public Library. You can find out more about the library, our recording studio, and the books and recipes we talked about in this episode on our website at jesspublib.org. Our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whitten from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. You can find out more about Scott and his music on his website, adoreforadesk.com.